David Spada is a successful attorney whose dream was to become a sports talk show host. Elliot Harris is a Chicago sports columnist who wanted to expand his media presence. In the next hour, they combine their talents and love of sports and women by interviewing former professional athletes and lovely ladies on sports and torts. But keeping the boys out of trouble isn't always easy because when David and Elliot are together, they have more fun than should be legal. Welcome to another edition of Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com with David Spada and Elliot Harris. David is not in the studio today, but is in pursuit of other endeavors, no doubt trying to land more great guests like the one we have today. Pro Football Hall of Famer Rayfield Wright, the former Cowboy offensive tackle, whom David and I had the pleasure of actually meeting in person at the Pro Football Hall of Fame induction ceremonies in 2013. I see that you uh, were born in Georgia, and then you went to Fort Valley State. What made you choose that college? Well, I, I went to uh, uh, Fort Valley for the simple reason that uh, I had a cousin that was uh, captain of the football team at Fort Valley. Of course, you know I couldn't make the high school football team, but uh, I went to Fort Valley on a basketball scholarship. When uh, I left high school... I wanted to take, play basketball so bad because I didn't make the high school football team. And I was a pretty good basketball player at the time. And uh, Lola in Chicago uh, also wanted me to come and play basketball for them. But we didn't have the financial resources for me to go there, nor any other school. So Fort Valley was a state school. It's a university today. And it was a state school, and I got a pretty good scholarship, and that's why I went to Fort Valley. I want to know, how could you not make the the football team in high school? Well, that's an interesting question because, you know, I'm from a tall family, uh, basically, and I have a brother that's seven feet tall, and my dad was seven feet, and uh, uh, I was six, seven, and... Uh, we just played basketball. Uh, I went out for football, and I couldn't make the team uh, because I was a tall, lanky guy, and my high school coach thought I'd get hurt playing football, and so I started playing basketball. You said that Loyola in Chicago was after you. Was that after they won the championship in 63? Uh, it was after. How do you turn down? How do you turn down the team that won the national championship playing basketball for them? Well, we just couldn't. Uh, we didn't have the financial resources because it was just my mother and grandmother that raised four kids. And you look back in the south, back in the sixties, you can understand what I'm talking about. Exactly. And there would have been no options for the southeastern conference or, or any of the schools. To- in the Deep South at that time? Uh, that was a couple of schools out of Atlanta, but uh, I just chose not to go, and I just chose to go to Fort Valley because they had brought a new coach uh, in from Fort Valley, Coach Stan Lomax, who you might remember was the gentleman that introduced me at the Hall of Fame. That was my college coach. So how did you end up playing football then? If, if you go on a basketball scholarship, doesn't the basketball coach say, hey, wait a second, I don't want you getting hurt? 
I went to play <laughs> basketball for me. Well, you know, back in those days, you you I went to college on what you call an athletic scholarship instead of just a football scholarship or just a basketball scholarship, which meant that I had to play two sports. And that's when I saw playing football. I chose football because I wanted to play football and in college, and I wanted to play wide receiver because I was pretty much a pretty fast guy, I thought, you know, running a 4840. So, you know, so I had to, as, as having an athletic scholarship, I had to play two sports, and I chose football. The first position I played, uh, football was free safety. <laughs> and I played defensive end and also tight end, and I was a punter. And when basketball season started, I started playing basketball again. So you were a six-seven free safety. Uh, yes, I was six-seven a free safety, and I only weighed two hundred and twenty. No, I weighed here. Yeah, I weighed two hundred and right at two hundred when I left high school. Is it safe to assume that as a punter, the center never snapped it over your head? <laughs> well, I tell you what, I was too tall to throw the center didn't have a chance, you know, <laughs> to snap it over my head. When you went into the draft, did you have any idea that the Cowboys were going to draft you? Well, no, I didn't, to be honest with you. I didn't because I didn't want to play football. I wanted to play basketball. And the Cincinnati Royals uh, wanted me to come and play basketball for them. And... I decided that uh, uh, I couldn't because it was my junior year in college, and the way I went to college uh, on the scholarship and the way I had made a commitment from high school uh, uh, with a, a service guy that was in the service, uh, as a matter of fact, he was in Apple, so I told him that... Uh, uh, I wouldn't drop out of school until I received my college degree. And that was one of the uh, uh, commitments that I had to make. So I did not go to uh, uh, or even try out at the Royals because of that. And then my senior year, the Dallas Cowboys drafted me. The Cowboys was only six years old at that time. And... So I had a football scholarship where training camp started in uh, July, and I had a basketball offer with the Royals that practice started in August. So I had two opportunities, one in football and one in basketball. And I told my mother and grandmother that I was, since, you know, I had two opportunities, I didn't know what God really wanted me to do. So since football camp started first, I went to the Cowboys training camp, and I ended up making the football team with the Cowboys. We had, uh, back in those days, we had uh, 137 rookies in training camp. That was back when they was just signing three agents, you know, and I ended up making the team as a tight end. And, you know, Coach Landry had a system, and he knew that his system would work if he could find the right athletes to place in his system. So it didn't matter whether you played football, basketball, or ran track, or whatever, he was looking for the athlete. He didn't build uh, his system around a player. You understand what I'm saying? 
Exactly. He, he built the system around athletes. And that's what uh, really made him very successful and made the team very successful because uh, when Starbuck joined the team in 69, you know, because he had to serve some time in the service, four years in the service. And Coach Landry called me in his office and said, Ray Phil, I'm going to move you to offensive tackle. And I thought he was crazy, really, because I had never played offensive tackle before in my life. So, you know, uh, Ralph Neely, who was playing right tackle at the time, received an ankle injury and he couldn't play. So Coach Landry told me that it was, uh, that I was starting. And, <laughs> the league, and that was about halfway during the season. Uh, so I had to come in and, and start playing a position that I'd never played before. And the first player that I had a chance to block in the National Football League, God bless him, uh, he was David Deacon Jones. And that was my first star. Now, I don't know how you felt about or would feel about blocking the Secretary of Defense, the most feared defensive end that ever played in the National Football League. Uh, but that's who my first start was against Deacon Jones. And, uh, uh, the first play of the ball game, I never will forget it. You know, you get down in your stance, and I'm looking at Deke, uh, square in his eyes, and his eyes was really at his fire. He was kicking his back leg like a bull. And when a bull you start kicking his leg, you know what he's, what's going to happen, right? He's coming. You know, there ain't nothing you can do about it. He's going to come. And, and Mr. Jones, uh, that's exactly what he did when, Starbuck made the call, the ball was going to be snapped on two, and he said, Hut. And then, you know, between the different huts from a quarterback's call, there's a little pause in that, in that call, you know? And I hear a statement because an offensive lineman is dedicated to hear only one voice, and that's your quarterback voice because he can call a number of color. We call it an audible, and he could change the original play that was called in the hole. So I'm listening, and in between that first and second hut, in this pause, I hear a voice. And the voice wasn't Roger's voice. It was, it was Deacon Jones' voice. And he asked me a question, and which really blew me away because he asked me if my mother knew that I was out on the field. And I'm saying, and when somebody called the second play, man, I was still in my stance and everybody was running the, you know, their assignment out. And he came across that line of scrimmage and hit me with that head slap, man, and knocked me all the way back on my back. I looked, uh, rolled over, looked to the sideline to see if Coach Landry was going to take me out of the game, and he turned his back on me. And by that time, Deacon Jones reached his big arms down and to help me up off my back. And he said, hey, rookie, welcome to the NFL. <laughs> now, I wasn't a rookie. You know, I'm in my third year, right? So he called me rookie, but I was a rookie as far as playing offensive tackle. And I ended up getting the game ball, and I was MVP of the game because Mr. Jones never touched Roger. And, you know, that's what started my career at offensive tackle. So I played offensive tackle for 10 years. Well, somebody must have taught you how to play that position. Uh, well, you know, the thing about playing uh, in the offensive line, you know, the offensive line 
as I look at it, it's like an engine in a car, in an automobile. You take that engine out of the automobile, no matter how beautiful the car looks, the car's not going to go into place, right? Exactly. Right. So you put that engine in the, in the automobile, then the car's going to move. Well, the offensive line is like that. The offensive line is like an engine in an automobile. So, you know, even today it's the same. You know, you, you, you don't have an engine or your engine isn't running properly, then your offense is not going anywhere. So, you, you know, you got to have everything that the engine needs in order for it to move. So that's how I look at the offensive line. And the only coach that I had uh, in the offensive line, see, back then the players on the team, we became a unit. We were one unit. And all of the offensive line worked with each other. But we had a great offensive line coach in Jim Myers that really taught us, you know, how to play that position based upon our athletic ability. Well, and also offensive linemen will tell you that the smartest players on the football field are offensive linemen, correct? That is absolutely right. Well, (laughs) especially your center, because your center is like a quarterback. Your center called plays, I mean, he calls signals, you know, like a quarterback will for the uh, blocking assignments of the offensive line based upon the defense because defenses change and the the offensive line may have a certain uh, blocking assignment, but if the center calls uh, uh, a signal, then we know that we're going to have to block a different way and the play normally is called. You said you had a chance to join the Cincinnati Royals. So you have been teammates with Oscar Robertson and Jerry Lucas? I would have been teammates with those guys, absolutely. That would be a tough decision, though. <laughs> well, the thing is, back in Georgia, you know, you get an opportunity, which was very likely back in, in, in Griffin, where I came from, a uh, small city, and I was the first... Uh, uh, professional athlete to come out of Griffin, Georgia, and first one to end up playing professional football. Uh, you know, you, it was it was a tough decision to make because I wanted to play basketball, but at the same time I had two opportunities. And when you have or you receive an opportunity, you just don't let it go because it's something that you want to do. So I wanted to play professional sports because I knew I had the ability to do so. I just didn't know uh, that the Dallas Cowboys was going to drop me. I had no idea of that. Was it difficult to adapt to living in Dallas, having grown up in Griffin? Well, you know, that was right after Dr. King was assassinated and, uh, uh, not Dr. King, I'm sorry, but it was uh, uh, JFK. JFK, right after he uh, was assassinated here in Dallas, and I'm saying to myself, "Well, do I really want to go to Dallas?" You know, because things really hadn't straightened itself out, and in some areas, even today, things have not straightened themselves out as far as color is concerned. But you know. I decided that I would just go ahead and come to Dallas. 
And, you know, it's, uh, uh, it was an interesting situation. I didn't get a chance to, uh, uh, really, uh, have a roommate and, uh, I can't answer that question. You know, maybe it was because, you know, segregation was still, you know, out there and, you know, our rooms and roommates, uh, you know, were of the same race. And if there was, uh, an extra, uh, 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 roommate, which would have caused black and white to be together, then back in those days, they would get two rooms. You know, so one player would have his room and the other player would have his room. Was well, Coach Landry good at, at dealing with the black athlete? Oh, yeah, he was awesome. He's one of the greatest coaches they ever coached a game. See, the thing is, is that Coach Landry was a player in New York. Proud of being hired as a head coach here in Dallas. So he understood and he knew players. But, you know, the way systems are, and systems follow trends, uh, and that just happened to be the trend. It wasn't a trip on with the players or nothing. That wasn't a trip, you know, because we were, we became one team and, uh, we all respected each other and we played together as a unit. You mentioned going against Deacon Jones. I mean, in practice you had on the other side Bob Lilly and then later on Randy White, two other Hall of Famers. What were they like? Well, Randy White, uh, hadn't became a Hall of Famer. Back then, but Bob Lilly, uh, was still playing, and Bob was the first player that was ever drafted by the Cowboys in 1906. He came out at BCU, and he was a tremendous athlete. He had, uh, a lot of quickness, and he moved pretty fast in that defensive line. Of course, Randy White came from Maryland, and he came in as a linebacker. And Randy made the adjustment because he was an athlete. He made the adjustment from coming out of Maryland as a, uh, uh, linebacker to a defensive end. And he was just quick like Lily and, you know, probably being from a linebacker's position, uh, he was just as quick. You know, so that's what Coach Landry was looking for in his defense. And we had Jethro Pugh, who was a tremendous, who was a tremendous defensive tackle on the other side of Bob Lilly and also on the side of uh, Randy White. So Jethro put a lot of pressure himself being an experienced defensive tackle. And I don't think that Jethro has gotten the, the, the credit uh, that he deserves because no one really talks about him that much. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. But Jethro, he was, Jethro was a great player. Was there ever any concern that maybe you were too tall to be an offensive lineman? That I was too tall? Yeah. No, because our offensive line was, uh, once Coach Lander got it set, Ralph Neely was at 6'5", Blaine Nye, uh, was that six four? Uh, the shortest guy that we had on the offensive line was uh, John Nyland, who was about six two. I see that you played in five Super Bowls. Did you have a favorite Super Bowl? 
yes, because if you recall, back in those days, I don't know how old you are, but if you recall back in those days, uh, in 1970, uh, we played in our first Super Bowl. And that was the uh, most important uh, and one that I will never, ever forget because the media had named us as a team that couldn't win the big game because I played 13 years and we were in the playoffs 12 of those 13 years that I played. So prior to going to the Super Bowls, we were named as a team that couldn't win the big game. But the first one that we won, uh, I mean, the first Super Bowl that we had was against the Baltimore Colts. And if you can, and I was blocking Bubba Smith in that game, and, you know, who was a big, tall, strong guy. And, you know, I held my own against him, uh, but uh, uh, we lost the game by a field goal that was kicked by O'Brien. Uh, and then that's the game that. Uh, John, that they said that Mel Renfro tipped the ball. John Mackey called it, caught the ball and ran it in uh, for a touchdown, which uh, was controversial to uh, what everybody was thinking and seeing on the film that Mel Renfro didn't touch the ball. Uh, but O'Brien kicked the field goal and won that game. And then the next year, we beat Miami 24-3 in our first win in the Super Bowl. And Coach Landry was on my shoulder, and a couple of guys, you know, we picked him up and put him on our shoulders and uh, carried him off the field because that was something that we really uh, uh, strive to uh, to to get to the Super Bowl because we knew we could win it, and we worked to that effect. And the next year, '71. Uh, we went back to the Super Bowl and we beat the Dolphins 24 to 3. And, uh, that was a great game for us. <laughs> Did you have a favorite running back to block for? Well, we had a great, we had a, a series of great running backs, uh, for us. Walt Garrison was one of the top fullbacks in the league, I thought. And then Robert Newhouse came in, uh, as a fullback and, the the running backs was uh, Calvin Hill and uh, Dwayne Thomas was the major two running backs, and they both were excellent running backs. Now they had their own different styles of running, but uh, uh, Dwayne Thomas was like a glider. He you know, and it was kind of, but he was kind of he was fast as well. Calvin was a more powerful. Uh, a running back, and he liked to jump a lot over his blocks. So that made those two guys a little bit different. So uh, Dwayne Thomas, and I love blocking for him because he was uh, he set up your blocks really well. He wasn't a straight runner. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then you had yeah. Tony, and then you had Tony Dorsett. Well, Tony came in, you know, after Calvin and, and uh, uh, Dwayne was traded, and so Dorsett came in from Pittsburgh, and Tony was, uh, he was both to me. He was a power runner, even though he wasn't as big as uh, Calvin was. He was about to stand a little bit smaller than Dwayne was, but uh, he had the quickness, and he could read the plays, the blocks, and 
He, and he did that. And that's what one of the things uh, that made him a great running back, uh, knowing the plays and making the adjustments based upon the blocking of the offensive line. Now, you mentioned a couple of players in Deacon Jones and Bubba Smith. Who who was the toughest uh, defensive well, lineman that you went up against? Well, I tell you, I'll let you answer that question when I name the guys that I had to block during my career. <laughs> <laughs> and we start out with Deacon Jones and then Bubba Smith and then Carl Ella, then Claude Humphrey, then Jack Youngblood, then Elsie Greenwood. So I'm going to let you make that choice, okay? Uh, because each of those guys was awesome, man. And and all the guys that uh, I blocked against uh, in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, except uh, Carl Ella, not Carl Ella, but uh, Claude Humphrey and Elsie Greenwood. And we will be back with part two of our interview with Rayfield Wright on Sports and Sports on TalkZone.com after this brief break. 